Okay, hi everybody. The podcast is on purpose. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Dr. John Duffy, and with me, as always, is award-winning Chicago Tribune columnist Heidi Stevens. Hello. Which hi. which award are we referring to? Uh, there's uh, there's so many. With, the room is filled with awards. I don't. Uh, there's no room to sit. I in do. Here. I do carry them around <laughs> with me just in case. I don't know. It's coming very handy this morning. (laughs) Before you finish that sentence, let me show you an award I won. (laughs) Um, I want to talk, if you're okay with it, I want to talk about this Parkland survivor who's... um, Wait, I'm just making us... I'm just just fixing our audio a hair because we both are... Were we too quiet? We're booming. We're booming. Okay. Noise, our, our, our voices are so potent and powerful. Oh, okay. We don't want that. We're good now. We don't scare people. Okay. So I want to talk about the Parkland shooting survivor, Kyle Kashuv, I think is how you say his name. I've only read it. I haven't actually heard it. But yeah, I think, I think that's right. Kyle Kashuv um, survived the Parkland school shooting, had his... Uh, admissions offer to Harvard rescinded. What? Um, How often? (laughs) How will he go on? Um, (laughs) We are not here to make light of it. No, not at all. Maybe a little bit. Um, So he, I'm sure you've read about this, he was using the N-word left and right, anti-Semitic, really violent gross threats. Um, You've done and, good research into this, and, and it's worse than I thought. Yeah. So so once, you know, it depends on what outlet you're reading, because some of them are sort of cleaning up the speech or just choosing not to repeat it. Um, and some are saying what he said. And, um, you know, he said, kill all the effing Jews yeah. at one point. Um, used the N-word multiple times. This is in text messages, shared Google Docs that, you know, kids are working on an assignment and they share it online. Right. Some Skype calls. Yep. So all that was leaked, provided to Harvard, right? Harvard contacted him and said, you know, this is a problem. We need to talk about it. We're thinking about rescinding your... Right. Explain this. Explain You've got to give us a really good explanation here. Otherwise, we may rescind. Yeah. Yeah. And he did. He apologized. He distanced himself from it. He said he's not the same person he was at 16. He's 18 now. Um, which, and this all happened a couple of years ago, right? Did all, virtually all of it happened in yeah, 2017-ish? I, I, I think everything I've read said it happened when he was 16. Okay. And that was pre- Shooting. Pre-shooting. And he's saying he's a different person, and I don't doubt that he is. Right. Um, Of course he's a different person. Um, Harvard decided, even in light of his apology and explanation, to go ahead and rescind his admissions offer. So that has people, some people, really outraged. And I think there's room here for an interesting conversation about that outrage, about whether there's room for youthful indiscretions, mm-hmm. about what classifies, right, as a youthful indiscretion. Right. Does hate speech classify as a youthful indiscretion the way, I don't know, some pot smoking does? Right. Um, is it a sign of your moral character? If it is a sign of your moral character, is that fixed or could that stand an education in college that might help you grow and change? So I'd love to talk to all talk about all of that with you. I also um, I hope we can get into some kind of uncomfortable territory about race, um, which obviously is at the center of this conversation. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's using 
you know, racist language. Absolutely. Um, and as I wrote in a column this morning before I came here to record this podcast with you, uh, <laughs> I think we need to talk about our collective willingness to offer grace and room for growth and youthful indiscretions for kids of color, right? Because often what we're talking about when there is a mistake made by a 16-year-old black boy or a 17-year-old black boy or even a perceived mistake is their death, right? right. Trayvon Martin, dead. Laquan McDonald, dead, right? The kid yep. in Michigan a few years ago who knocked on a door because he missed the school bus and was lost. The guy chased him down the street with a shotgun, actually shooting at shooting him. Shooting at him. Um, and on and on and on, right? I mean, there are countless stories we have. We don't know about. We don't even know. Right. That's right. And so I do think if we're going to have this conversation about Kyle and about Harvard and about youthful indiscretions, if it's going to be honest and it's going to get us anywhere, we probably should talk about the role of race there. I think we have to. And I think it's hard. I will admit that being a middle-aged white man, there's part of me that thinks I have no right to to even weigh in here. I, I kind of feel that way about some women's issues. I feel that way about abortion sometimes. I feel like, you know what? That, that this is this is not my purview. This is none of my business. But to your point a moment ago, um I think it's important we all weigh in on this stuff. I can imagine being African-American in Chicago here and thinking, where are white people? Right. You know what I mean? When we're talking about, like, with all these shootings that are happening in our neighborhoods. Yeah. Right? You know, where are our white compadres who are with us on this? Right. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot, too. And I and we talked about this before we started recording that, you know, every time I write about race, I have a a pit in my stomach because I wonder, number one, is this my place to talk about? Right. Um, number two, am I doing it in a way that doesn't just make me sound like a clueless white lady, which I will admit to being in many ways. I'm working every day on becoming less and less clueless, but, you know, I am a white lady. <laughs> I just am. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, what? where are my blind spots, um, you know, and how do I not, you know, just... Um, sort of lazily, you know, dance around them. How do I address them and make them smaller? All of that stuff. But, but I do come back to the idea that you know, I when I put on my feminist cap and I think about you know conversations that we have around women's issues, which is not my favorite phrase, but um, women's issues for the purposes of this conversation. A little shorthand, yeah. I want men's voices in there. I want to know where the allies are. I want everybody to pick up these topics and debate them and discuss them and try to fix them. I don't think this work should be women's work to do alone. And I'm imagining, and when I do have honest, heartfelt, sometimes uncomfortable conversations with my friends who are people of color, you know, I get that sense from them too. Like, yeah, white people should be talking about this stuff. Like, yeah. white people are you know, at least half the problem, probably more on most of this stuff. Like, so, you know, fix some of the stuff you started. I think I think a lot of our cultural problems have to do with us and them, like creating some divide. Yeah. And, and um, gender and race are our easiest divides because there's actually differences there, right? Yeah. Um, and so 
uh, it's easy to say, okay, that's that's their problem. Right. Oh, you know, that or that's your problem as women or that's their problem as black people. And, you know, if you guys just need to clean up your act. Right. You know, like in, you know, we, we white men will we'll wait. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I don't think anything culturally really gets solved until everybody gets involved. And we all recognize our our culpability in issues and our agency in being part of solutions to issues and that we're all better when we're all maximized. Like I, um, I have, my practice has been, um, probably for worse, I've spent more time by a lot working with privileged white families than I have black families. Mm -hmm. I've worked with some, and especially when I was in training. Um, but I, I, I think that there, I want those, this type of service that I offer to be available to everybody. Cause I think about I think about all the talent we leave on the table. Mm -hmm. I, I was telling you earlier that I, um, uh, earlier this morning, I was looking at my phone and I have five referrals on my phone, all of them about um, young adult white men who are smoking pot. Mm -hmm. and, um, and in a way, these feel like very urgent issues in families in the suburbs. But the reality is, mm, I, I know how to mitigate that. We can talk about that. We'll yeah. work that through. If these were these are parents who are contacting you concerned that their sons are smoking pot. Precisely. Just to be clear. Yes, okay. Yes. Um, but as you pointed out earlier, if these were white young or black men, same age. Yeah. They'd, they'd be right. They'd be right to prison. Right. Or, you know, or really close. I mean, you know, right. the, yeah. the chance of college, the chance of jobs, all of that stuff would be hanging in the balance for sure in a way that it's not for yeah. white kids. Yeah. So so the. Um, the the threats to their well-being, to their futures, to everything in their lives is so much greater. And, and in the same breath, I know enough, I don't know much, but I know enough to know there aren't many other, way, other ways out of certain situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you feel like, okay, well, the way to stay alive in this neighborhood is through, and I, and I, I was walked through this by a very generous young black man who, uh, at a talk I was giving, you know, who kind of schooled me on like, you know, well, easy for you to say, Dr. Duffy, but where I live, you're, if you're not part of the gang, if you're not the guy standing on the corner do, keeping watch, then you're already at, you know, at risk yeah. right away. Your life, not just like, you know, hey, we're going to beat you up, man. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Karate Kid? You're, you're right. <laughs> I thought it was like Karate Kid. No, it's a little worse oh. than Karate Kid. Oh, okay. No, so, right. So, it, 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 I mean, and, um, and again, I know precious little about this, but his fear was apparent. It was also battle-worn. Like, you know, so he was 16 at the time. He'd been a corner guy for years. Hmm. So this was ordinary to yeah. him. The, the idea that I could die today was ordinary to him. And that is mind blowing right. to me. Right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So I think it's important to try to bring all of that stuff to these conversations that we have about something as, I guess, you know, far away from our own lives as some kid who grew up in Florida not getting into Harvard, right? Like, right. you know, uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things, how does that affect me or you or anybody right. besides him? Um, it sort of doesn't, but we're going to talk about it and we should talk about it. Sure. And if we're going to do that, then we need to talk about it honestly and in a way that does acknowledge some of these 
cultural blind spots. And, 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 you know, if David Brooks is going to weigh in in the New York Times about how, you know, we need to allow room for moral failings of 16-year-olds, you know, who then can grow and mature into better versions of themselves, I, I don't disagree. I think it's disingenuous to say that without acknowledging that um, in this moment, in this country, 16-year-old black kids can also be shot yeah. for making a mistake or even being perceived to have made a mistake. And we're wringing our hands over a kid not getting into Harvard. Right, right, right. No, and it, it, it brings into question this, – this is my problem with David Brooks, and, and he's – I think we agree he, he's a frustrating figure because he's really intelligent, and there's an awful lot to agree with him on. Right. And, you know, and, and he's kind of a beautiful writer. Oh, my God. Even the paragraphs I vehemently disagree with, I'm like, man, that was beautifully written. Just <laughs> as, as a, a writer, writer must, oh. it kills me. I'm like, oh, I like all those words. I just hate what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, the eloquence is painful <laughs> Yeah, times. it really is. It really is. Right. But but I, I, to to look into what that means. So morality is his linchpin, right? Right. And the idea of where what's a moral failure and what's survival? What's you know what I mean? Like where does morality really come into play in certain situations? Like here's a kid who has um, up until the Parkland shooting all the opportunity in the world. Yeah. Even afterwards, really. Right. I mean, he survived, and yeah. you know, clearly he went through something really traumatic. But you know, he has. He has opportunities besides Harvard, too, right? You know yep. what I mean? Like, it's not like he's not going to go somewhere and do something right. and have a very nice life. Yeah. That's very likely. I hope he does. So I do I. genuinely hope he does. Right. For right. him and for all of us. I mean, we need more smart, <laughs> open-minded, thoughtful, Absolutely. productive adults. But I, think, uh, but I think there's a difference between the moral failing of, uh, of a kid who is saying— Kill all the effing Jews. Right. Just a couple of years ago, to mm-hmm. your point, right? Not, yeah. you know, and that's that's really, really vicious. You know, like yep. no matter what the context, uh, really no matter what the age, that's really vicious. That's worth having a look at versus, you know, this is this is our, the culture and the only way to get by sometimes is to act in a way that would look as if it's a moral failing. Yeah. But really, it's just kind of like, what are my options here? Right. I got very few. None of them look very moral. Right. You know? <laughs> None right. of them. I don't get a high road here. Right. You know? Like, I really kind of have to take, I, I have to take my, um, that they're in Argo, the movie Argo, uh-huh. they said, uh, they talked about the, the best shitty idea we've had. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think people are stuck with the best shitty idea. Yeah. And that might mean being the corner guy. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, because it's like, okay, I get I get till tomorrow at least to figure out what to do next. Right. Yeah. Or even in the case of the the 14-year-old boy, you know, in Michigan who we talked about who was knocking on a door to ask the ride. He, he had done nothing wrong. He was nothing. in a corner guy. He was doing... I, there are you can't talk about morals he overslept right. and right. missed his bus right. <laughs> is that immoral i mean and and yet there was a man who was really ready to take his life yeah just because his skin color scared him yep um and i don't know i i think we've got a lot of talking i do too to do about that and i think i think we white people need to really consider our assumptions because I think we make them. And I don't know if we are very 
aware of them because most of us have the luxury of not having to be. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, and uh, and I've had a lot of discussions lately that would suggest that. Somebody, yeah. somebody came up to me recently and said, wow, all, all the shootings in Chicago, how awful. But I'm sure they're not happening where you live, yeah. Dr. Duffy, you uh-huh. know, like with the white skin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whitey. Right. <laughs> I'm sure you're good. You're fine. Right. You right. know? Um, I, I was... I don't know why I'm compelled to share this story, but I've been watching these Letterman interviews. David Letterman's been interviewing different people, and I, I'm, I'm taken with this because I've all I've loved him since the early '80s, and I think he's trying to do something new and revolutionary. Um, and he's, um, he's interview, he's trying to cross, um, gender and and class and race and and do something important because I think he feels a little bit like he's failed that mm. in his career just talking to celebrities when he's had a platform. Sure. So he's trying to okay. exercise something new. So my wife and my son and I were watching um, him interview Kanye. Okay. Um, and, and Kanye's a tricky interview because he is uh, circular and he, he just kind of wanders from one topic to the next and it's, it's hard to follow. But he was trying to make a few points, some about mental illness, some about the black experience. And despite himself, you could feel Letterman interrupt him yeah, and not let him make his point mm-hmm. or try to make mm-hmm. it for him. And specifically, we, we paused a couple of times. And we're like, that's not what Kanye's saying. He yeah. does, he's, not, he does, he's not even getting it. So this mission he's on with the best of intentions, with the most open mind he can muster, yeah. he still can't find the listening. Right. And you know what I mean? So that's, that's that how... need to be superior in yeah. the dynamic just keeps jumping out of his mouth. Right. So yeah. this, this lack of lack of insight that, you know, like I have a bias here. Yeah. Right? I wouldn't be doing this if this were even Eminem, right. a, a white rapper guy. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. Right. I think that um, I, I think the letterman the everyone's inner letterman <laughs> is probably uh a lot of people's inner letterman is being brought to this particular conversation and all of these conversations where even Brett Kavanaugh anything where we're looking back at how someone behaved in high school i think you have a generation multiple generations actually of white people um, or of people who have historically had a fair share of power right. in this country, looking back at what they were like at 16 or what they wrote in their high school yearbook or what they might have said or done or laughed at at a party yeah. and thinking um, there but for the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. But also like, well, I'm a better person now. Should should what I did have kept me from getting a job? Right. Should what I did kept me from getting into the college of my choice? And so I think people are bringing, white people are bringing that to their decision-making about whether Harvard did the right thing, about whether Brett Kavanaugh deserved a seat on the Supreme Court, about, you know, about these Issues and, and we're having we're having this conversation a, a fair bit about whether you know someone needs to be an absolute flawless hero in order to deserve you know their seat at whatever table right, right? we're having yeah, this absolutely. conversation fairly often yeah um, and I think what I think often what happens is people of a certain age 
look back and think like, well, I, you know, look at this Harvard situation and think like, well, when I was 16, you know, I said and did some dumb shit or, Absolutely. I, you know, I might have even harbored some racist thoughts or this is not me saying this. I'm, I'm saying that I think that, you know, like a letterman, like a, you know, how many uh, of us would really pass the litmus test if we looked all the way back? Right. And, uh, and and there was records. Right. Of everything we said and did. And so it makes them nervous to see someone held accountable. Sure. For that behavior that they can imagine themselves actually having partaken in. Right? Absolutely. Right. Um, or language they actually can imagine themselves having partaken in. I would argue Number one, we need to be evolving past the worst versions of, you know, whatever this country was churning out 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, I would also argue in the case of the Harvard kid, like if you were 16 in 2017, which I think he was because mm -hmm. he's 18 now, yep. it's 2019. If you were 16 in 2017, using that kind of language and harboring that kind of racist BS in your mind. I, I don't want to excuse earlier racism. I'm not saying it was okay to be a racist in the forties or the fifties or, or, or any, any era It was never okay. But if you were thinking like that in 2017, that is a little worse it, in it my really mind. Is. You had no excuse as a white kid growing up in you know, probably a middle class house in America in 2017 to not have some friends who don't look like you, some authors that you turn to to give you a little bit of insight who don't look like you. You had a president mm -hmm. who didn't look like you. There are all sorts of artists you could draw understanding and inspiration from. In 2017, it was a lot easier to challenge whatever racist thoughts were swirling around your head than it was in 1947 in 1987 honestly and as I like a 16 year old kid i like the way you're saying that because it's uh, you're suggesting not that you know um it's less appropriate now or less politically correct now these aren't thoughts we should be having anymore. Right. You know what I mean? We should be thinking differently about people who are different than us. Right. And by 2017, if you're still saying some of the things this guy was saying, there's probably something fundamental he needs to work through right. before he's ready for whatever's next, you know? And, and you know, clearly that's not Harvard. Um, and that's probably true for a lot of, an awful lot of people who are not, recognizing and maybe this is your comparison between 1940 and now not recognizing that times have changed not that things were okay then they clearly weren't but culturally there were norms and you could slip into those norms way too easily and you know so that's why a lot of us look at our grandparents or whatever and we're like huh, yeah this is that was the time yep. you know what i mean but right at the very least we can say with some authority this is not that time right things have changed and i think when people are looking at the Harvard story or the Kavanaugh story or whatever story, and it's making them feel some kind of way about themselves and what they haven't been held accountable for and what, you know, they are grateful that they were not held accountable for or that they're outraged that someone now would be held accountable yes. for. I think, to be honest about it, they need to think about, you know, shifting and evolving and changing 
norms and opportunities and you know it you know it um it shouldn't you shouldn't see a google doc a text message a skype conversation with the n-word and with the language she was using in any era in 2017 i would argue it's more appalling than I mean, there weren't Google Docs in earlier years, but you know what I'm saying. I know what you're Writing saying. Writing those words out in 2017, to me, is a worse offense than finding it in somebody's yearbook in the 60s. And I I would also find it appalling in somebody's yearbook in the 60s. I find it doubly appalling in 2017. I just do. Or more so. I mean, um, I, I think part of it is also to consider what and I think there's something very male about a lot of this maybe not exclusively male but very male about what we consider to be funny to be Mm. humorous you know what I mean because I would guess under oath if we could talk to this this kid now this young man and ask him you know like so when you wrote it what was the deal Mm -hmm. oh I thought I was just trying to be funny yeah and I thought it was on a google doc I wasn't putting it out there on twitter or anything you know so um and then that's not funny there's nothing funny about that there never was right but specifically in 2017 to 2019 and beyond yeah there's nothing funny about that and if we give it a moment, and I'll get on my psychologist soapbox here for a second, if you give it a moment, we, when we lack empathy for any group of people, we are, we're harming them and their well-being, for sure. We're demeaning them, dehumanizing them, and that has a grave impact on the well-being of somebody's psyche to feel like, oh, this, I'm not respected as a human right. being. It also... It also breaks you down yourself, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so you are you are doing harm across the board mm. with something you think is light or humorous and might might buy you a moment of something, yeah. but not really. It's probably awkward, uncomfortable laughter, like you know, um, I don't know if I should be laughing at this, and this is weirdly inappropriate, but I'm not going to point out that you're being really racist right now, you yeah. know, like that kind of thing. I think kids are getting better at this in a way. I'm surprised to see this in 2017. Yeah. But maybe we shouldn't be. Yeah. Maybe we should be recognizing like, okay, maybe this guy just got caught. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the humor thing is interesting. That's why, you know, a couple months ago when Kevin James had the Oscar stint taken away, right? Because of mm-hmm. old tweets that yeah. were, you know. he uh, Kevin Hart. Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart yes. Kevin James. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not going to be hosting the Oscars. <laughs> I don't think they asked him. Um, I hadn't heard that they did. Kevin Hart. Um so the answer that, you know, he first gave and then all sorts of defenders gave was like, it was a joke. He's a comedian. They right. were jokes. He had made, you know, homophobic comments on Twitter and, and, and in standup routines, right, that resurfaced. And, but they were kind of violent and like talking yeah. about how he would harm his kid if his kid came out. And, um, and so it's like, you can't, you can't pretend that something doesn't strip another person of their humanity just because you think you said it as a joke. You're still trying to strip someone of their humanity. Right. Joking right. or not, if that's at the root of it. Yeah. If you're posturing to seem a certain way, but it's hurt somebody. It's a problem. If it's, it's a problem. And if it encourages somebody, um, I, um, 
was once on a talk show and uh, talking about parenting. And the uh, the person on the show, the the celebrity in charge of the show, said, um, "You know, I would just I would just hit my kids. I would just hit my kids. I would do it once." And and when we went to this commercial break, I was like, "You would not do that. Why are you saying that? You yeah. wouldn't do that." And he's like, "Yeah, but I'm putting to get I'm putting an image out there uh-huh. that's a certain way." And I'm like, "But you realize uh, like asshole? people are turning to you, <laughs> right? Right? You know, like right. so people are might do that thinking like." Okay, well, that's okay. I have permission from the famous guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally normalizes mm-hmm. it. Yeah. No, that was such an interesting point. Now we're going all over the place. But <laughs> I, <laughs> this, is, this is our signature. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't going try up, to follow along. Going up all over the place. I hope you're not outlining uh, <laughs> this for a class. <laughs> um, but it does remind me of an interview I did a couple months ago with Julie DeCaro and Sarah Spain, who are both sports journalists, about that Trump fed pick who had, you know, written all this totally gross stuff about female sports journalists and um you know again it was a long time ago and he distanced himself from the comments and blah 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 the whole spiel that we've just been talking about but julie made such a good point that like exactly the point you just made about this celebrity saying he hits his kids you put that stuff out there and then people have it as you know an excuse like permission yeah yeah so and so thinks like that i i guess i'm not like a basement dwelling you know frog for thinking like that about women in sports or it you know you put that out there and the comments resurface or you come across them on the internet or whatever and then it does it it gives you permission to not evolve past your worst instincts right right you know and I think part of it is to like dig in and think about what your worst instincts are. I think I think that's a really hard thing to do. Maybe not your worst instincts. Maybe that's not. Maybe Just that's lazy, too judgmental. habitual yes, ones. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lazy instincts, right? Yep. And we make a, we make a lot of lazy assumptions, and then oftentimes they'll be dispelled by somebody we meet, for example, and still. We'll we'll kind of discount that as the exception as opposed to like I've learned something about a group of people or a single person. Right. And so I'm going to integrate that into my thinking about them. Right. Instead of like leaning back on the lazy thinking. Right. Yeah. Which I think we do way too often. Way too often. Right. Yeah. So being more assertive in the way we consider other people. Maybe that's part of the point here. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. And I think on race – all too often, because we're white, we think of it as optional. Sure. Whether to do that or not. Yeah. Right? Like, we have no uh, urgency about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and even can look for excuses not to. Like, well, is it my place? Or will mm-hmm. I do it wrong? Or will someone get mad at me? Yeah. Um, and, Am I going to say the wrong thing? Right. On this podcast, am I going to say the wrong thing? Am right. I going to offend somebody? Or seem clueless? Am I going to seem clueless? Yeah. Right. Um, and I think there are, you know, friends and neighbors and colleagues of ours who are not going through the world with the option of whether to deal with race, right? Yes. And so, I don't know, I wonder if we should all think of it as really not optional work, and if but we just look at it work like, that needs to is, be done. Yes, and it's our work. All, right. It's our collectively work. our work. Right. And we're all probably better and growing and evolving if we're all doing the work. Right. Even if we don't do it perfectly, even if we stumble, even if we do some of it wrong, we can go back and try to fix it. We can do better next time. We can, but we're, but it's work, right? We're working. Absolutely. And, um, my, 
bias is, again, this is a little clinical bias, but if we need a bellwether, um, sometimes I think it's really useful to turn to the generation younger than us mm, because totally. a lot of the biases that we carry that we're holding on to maybe from an era that's gone by, these kids have developed their own points of view. And, you know, this is the social media we all hate our kids using, and this is Twitter that we all hate our kids using, but they're developing these points of view and they recognize um, what other people are suffering and they don't make all the same assumptions. And they're actually almost unwittingly doing the work. You yeah. know what I mean? I think yeah. they're doing the work in a way that we are not. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're understanding each other's experiences through the discussions they have, through Reddit, through um, the music they listen to. Yep. They have some fundamental understanding of other pieces of the culture that most of us in my generation, I'll speak for, were we usually think like, oh, they're swearing in the rap music. I don't approve of that, yeah. so we're not listening to that. Yeah. Whereas there's, you know, kids will tell you, no, there's a lot to be learned here. Yeah. This is folk music. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and we, this is the kind of stuff that your parents didn't want you listening to, mm-hmm. but you can learn a lot about other people and by and yourself by just listening to some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Always so, look to the teens. It, always. I mean, that, <laughs> I, I will always land on that. Yeah. Always land on that. I'm and, okay with that. And I think that's going to just keep getting Except more. Except not this particular teen who's I, not going to Harvard. There are yeah. exceptions. <laughs> We're not looking right, at him. Right. Don't look at the Harvard guys. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't that an odd thing, right? We're, we're, it's the kid who got into Harvard that we're saying, I yeah, know, this like kid made the mistake. Five point something GPA? How do you even do that? I That's don't, like well, another podcast, right? Yeah, that you well, can get more than a perfect GPA? Yeah. Well, what you do, here's what you do, briefly. You, okay. You, you take your home ec classes and any classes that are, don't have that extra point, that, that AP boost okay. at a community college. While you're in high school? Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, I thought I was helping you say I mean, actually, my daughter's to probably going to Harvard. want to do this, so I should probably watch my tongue because, yes, No, this is but... the insanity we live in today. Okay. Yep. Um, I, I suspect we should call it because I think we've created enough confusion uh, right. for one hour. Right. Also, I started swearing, and so it's, <laughs> it's time to wrap things up. All right. This is on purpose, you guys. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Let us know. what you think or if we're all wet on this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, feedback's good. We'll talk to you next time.